Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast, brought to you as always by the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, you should be a part of the Next Level Brands community. We have courses, resources, workshops, founder coaching, networking, and a whole lot more. Having a challenge with distributors, funding, or promotions? The Community Hub is fully searchable by keyword and can take you right to the answers you're seeking or one of our team members can help you find the info. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. Well, hello, everyone. This is Steve Clear. Today, we're welcoming Ted Volz, founder and CEO of Clean Energy, to the program. Ted's background includes being a licensed CPA and working in public accounting. During that time, Ted worked on financial statement audits for a range of different types of companies, from small private companies to large multinational SEC registrants. His work has covered various sectors, including financial services, manufacturing, and of course, consumer packaged goods. So Ted has a passion for eating clean label, which by the way, is the driver for his founding of Clean Energy, which you can find at cleansmoothie.com, launched direct to consumer in September of 2021. We're going to talk a lot more about that. Welcome to the show, Ted. Steve, happy new year. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. No problem. Glad to have you here. So I I, I think, and and I always try, I try to do this just to just to put you off guard just a little bit right at the beginning so that you don't get comfortable is it coming from accounting, knowing the numbers, having audited CPG firms, how in the world did you decide that you were going to do a CPG product? (laughs) I think I had to put a lot of that aside, Steve, to be honest, and more lean on my interest in clean label eating and focus on that passion and interest. But certainly the the background in accounting has, has lent some experience that's been helpful so far. And, and so coming at it from a slightly different perspective and, and I'll say numbers guy kind of approach to it, when you're looking at starting something out, even with the amount of, of interest and passion or whatever, did you, did you really pick the product because of your personal choices and, and really wanting to pursue clean label? Or did you look at something and say, Hey, I think there's some white space here. We might be able to take advantage of. Probably a combination. So the the idea formulated over a number of years as I was working in public accounting, you know, as I listened to different entrepreneurs, it sounds like many get an itch at some point. And same thing happened to me. I had an interest in starting my own business. And at the same time, had always had this interest in clean label eating. And so, you know, tried to marry those two ideas of what's something that could be brought to the market that I would personally be interested in that I think, you know, is not meeting consumers' needs, you know, as I see them anyways. And then as well, was concurrently doing some research and talking with contract manufacturers and evaluating what was viable with the capital that I had available to me. And so it was, you know, two concurrent tracks, I think, that were running yeah, that ultimately led me to to give it a try and start up last year. So talk to us a little bit about, uh, it, it, we'll get to the whole starting in a pandemic thing in, in a minute, but start. <laughs> let's just assume everything was normal for a minute and you're, you're getting ready to do this. Did you start, well, first of all, tell us a little bit about the products themselves and then why you chose those. Sure. Yeah. So 
Clean Energy is a clean label, organic, plant-based smoothie in a single-serve, ready-to-drink packet. And it's surprisingly rare, both as a consumer and as I did more research as a potential startup, it was surprisingly rare to me to have that clean label packaged food combination. And by clean label, I mean no added sugar, nothing artificial, nothing lab created, and nothing on the ingredient list that somebody would be unfamiliar with or couldn't read. So it's surprisingly rare to have uh, a packaged food be clean label. And that's really what drove me you know, to the interest in this potential product and starting it up. And then just did a bunch of research, you know, reading online, talking to contract manufacturers, talking to other entrepreneurs, doing CPG and market-specific research that kind of led me to, to where I am now. And when you were – so in terms of formulations, so you, did you make some product at home first? Were you solving kind of a need that you had or you'd gotten used to? Or were you thinking, okay, I need to have like the checklist, clean label, but – single serve, you know, easy access, nutritional, et cetera. So where it started was um, eating a lot of, we have four kids in our family. So we've got plenty of packet food around the house, all marketed towards baby and babies or, or young kids. A lot of applesauce squeezies, the go-go squeeze that many are familiar with. Yep. And so I found myself and others using a lot of those. And interestingly, as I've been reaching out to to athletic departments at universities and pro teams, I found that many of those uh, institutions and teams are actually using similar or the exact same products uh, for their athletes, which was surprising to me. And I didn't know that at the time. But for me personally, those products were convenient and healthy. And in many cases, not always, but in many cases, clean label. So that is where it was convenient for me to use. And then I thought, well, geez, is there a sport marketed or adult marketed similar product? You know, if adults or athletes don't feel comfortable eating something that's marketed for a baby or a young kid. Right. And and really didn't see anything out there. So I did start to develop, you know, just create some smoothies on my own at home. My wife has always been a big smoothie person. She would make one in the morning frequently. I never got into them because of the inconvenience of it, right? You're making a mess and you got to do cleanup. So I, I tended to go towards those to the packet, the packets instead. So I've made a couple of smoothies at home, developed kind of my ingredient list, and then started once I got a contract manufacturer that was a good fit, shared with them the ingredient list. And we did a couple rounds of what it tasted like after they had uh, worked on it. And, and, and because it is, um, it actually says Ted and I had a short conversation at the beginning prior to recording about the fact that I've been on the phone just right up to the start of the show with a client who's having a co-manufacturing issue, let's just say. When you started out and you were going talking to co-mans about what you wanted to do, did you find them helpful? Did you find it was a good way to do kind of more research about the product and the line? I found it extremely helpful. And fortunately enough, many of them, even if they weren't, if we weren't a fit from a uh, minimum order requirement perspective, many of them were still willing to talk with me and share their knowledge, which was extremely helpful for me, you know, learning along the way. So it was a really good process. And that was a long process, to be honest. That was probably, geez, a year and a half of 
talking to different contract manufacturers just to figure out the right one, even before deciding on one, testing out samples with various contract manufacturers. So they were extremely helpful, and I was appreciative of that, both the one that I decided upon and the ones um, that weren't a fit, but still did some knowledge sharing. And do you have, in, in terms of ingredients and, and stuff, do you have anything that's that's hard to handle, or is it stuff that basically most most comans could probably do? It was all it was all readily accessible. The funny thing is, and then getting you know getting back tying it back to the whole clean label thing, one of the biggest challenges aside from the minimum order requirement, but once we settled on the contract manufacturer where it was a fit, the hardest challenge was ensuring that it was truly clean label because in many cases contract manufacturers want to add in something or have something in their product already that helps with shelf stability extends shelf life whatever yes. it may be yep. so they have that product readily available to them and it's going to be cheaper to have whether it's apple with ascorbic acid or something else it's going to be cheaper to use that but again that was kind of contrary to the premise of clean energy. So that was a little bit of challenge, but ultimately got to exactly where we wanted to be, which was completely clean label. And and obviously you started the research and stuff, Ted, you know, may, maybe before the pandemic broke out, but yeah. your, your launch occurred in the middle of the pandemic. Did Did you have some second thoughts? Did you, how did that whole, the whole idea, the whole social, and supply chain structure, whatever, affect your launch in your business? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, had second thoughts about whether or not launching in a pandemic was the right thing to do. And I think I went round and round talking to so many different people around, is it the worst time or is it the best time or is it somewhere in the middle? You know, there's some perspective that launching a shelf-stable packaged food that's contactless for consumption is really ideal during the pandemic. And especially in the early days of the pandemic, when we didn't know, you know, how coronavirus was transmitted and whether foodborne foodborne illness or packaged food was, you know, a concern. We since, I think, you know, said that's no longer a risk, but these are all various factors. And absolutely was, you know, the pandemic was weighing on my mind as to whether or not the timing of the launch was going to be right. In in terms of formulation, Ted, and, and to that is, and going back to clean label, I, I think one of the things that we have seen as an effect of the pandemic is people, in fact, paying more attention to labels, more attention yep. to what they're putting into their body at this point, the heightened heightened sense, if you will, of you know, right of of what I'm doing yep. from a nutritional standpoint and a label standpoint. How did you get to not as you know we we're not asking you to broke any uh, proprietary stuff, but how did you get to the idea of doing shelf stable and as opposed to refrigerated in, in going forward? That was that was a relatively easy decision, just because clean label and convenience including the shelf stability was always really important to me. Okay. You know, if you want to eat clean label and it's somewhat inconvenient uh, or convenient, yeah, inconvenient, you could just have a raw piece of fruit and that's a great way to heat to eat <laughs> healthfully. But if you want the convenience of something that's not going to go rotten or that's, you know, durable uh, and portable, that's really what I was trying to combine. So shelf stable was always a prerequisite. 
And the packets that are out there already, you know, had that test case and, and proved out that it could work simply using a packet and organic lemon juice. So that's the primary, it's no, you know, it's no secret sauce. That's the, the primary natural preservative. And that's been shown to work time and time again. So from a business standpoint, again, from your accounting background or whatever, when you, when you were you know, doing this, did you model, run your numbers, look at different scenarios? How'd you approach like the business planning of it? Yeah, certainly did all sorts of different models and, and ran forecast and ran different scenarios and, you know, a best case scenario and a worst case scenario and all sorts of different things in between. The funny thing was, and what always I came back to, I listened to uh, a story about the guy that founded Home Depot. And there was two guys, actually, I think. And one of them was an accountant, and he put together a bunch of forecasts for the other co-founder. And the accountant says to him, you know, I've done the numbers a bunch of times. They're not going to work. And the other guy says, you're an accountant. Make them work. <laughs> so, so, so I always came back to that. Is, and I, I saw that as well, you know, in auditing. Forecasts are great and necessary, but ultimately they're educated guesses. So you got to have a lot of scenarios in mind and you have to put a lot of time and effort into those best estimates uh, and guesses, but that's ultimately what they are. I, I, I think, yeah, there's, there's a certain reticence, I think, of, of people who are entrepreneurial in nature to want to have to consider that there may be more than one outcome <laughs> to, to what we're doing. But since so much of CPG is also production-based, it's really important, particularly if you're working with a co-man, you know, you have, you, you have flex, more flexibility in some ways, but less flexibility, right? I mean, if you, buy, if you buy the line and install it in a building yourself, that's great, but you got the line. And when the line maxes out, you're maxed out. Whereas with a co-packer, you can, hopefully the co-packer has some flexibility and uh, some additional capacity, or you can find another co-packer using the same formula and have two of them running at once, which a number of businesses do, you know, in terms of East Coast, West Coast. So there's that aspect, but modeling, even though it's all guesswork, it really gives you an opportunity to see how growth can occur in such a way as important things like, okay, how much, if I'm working in a commercial kitchen, right? How much can my commercial kitchen produce? Or in your case, how much can the co-packer actually produce at this point? When am I going to get it? How many? And then, and then most important, and the one that I, I, I have a really hard time with people with is where is it going to go? In other words, where is it going to be sold? And, you know, so that's, you know, that's an important part of it. When, when you chose to chose to start the business direct to consumer, and how did you go about doing that? What were, what were your choices and how did you make the choices to do direct to consumer as opposed to trying to go to retail first? And just to play off your first comments, you're, to you're totally right. You know, the, the forecasting and, and the good estimates in your forecast are, are totally key and were totally key for me as, as I was starting to make sure that I had enough capital to give this thing a real shot. Yeah, so totally yeah. agree with you there. And then as far as deciding, you know, DTC, you hear so much about how there's never been a better time and an easier time to launch something direct to consumer. And so I did my research as to what, you know, what was a viable avenue for direct to consumer? What's the website platform? 
who's 3PL, does it sync up with the contract manufacturer, and and found a, a viable plan, you know, that worked for launch and is working thus far. And talk to us about other, besides your website, other platforms, Amazon, Thrive, and anything else that you looked at? Yeah, so knew that I wanted to launch on our website to start, but I'm glad you bring up Amazon because Amazon is something that we're working towards in the near term. Launching on our website to begin with was important to test it out on a smaller case, see if we could develop some sort of a brand identity, see if it resonated with people. And now we're going to try to get onto Amazon here as quickly as possible. And that's actually in the works and hoping that's in the near term. Absolutely. Okay. So, so obviously you, 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 you didn't catch my program about Amazon, but it's, it's okay. I said, <laughs> I said people said, you know, I, I, I really, I really love the fact that, that we have the ability to go on one-on-one with consumers. And what you brought up is very important. And that is the ability of having, first of all, having a website and doing direct sales and direct communication is really, really important in the beginning to get feedback to test things, if you will, to begin the dialogue with what you presume are your target audience, which you may quickly find out is not, right? But <laughs> nonetheless, right? So you can you can reformulate that before you hit the other platforms. But yeah, I'm I for years I've been just a, a big Amazon promoter, not in promoting the company or whatever it does, but to emerging brands to say, you really don't understand what kind of a chance you have here. This is amazing. You need to be here. It's critical. It's, it is whatever your local store was that you were going to go into in retail back in the old days. It's the same thing. It's, you know, it's that, it's that validity. It's, it, it eases the way for things. So glad, glad to hear that. We can, we can, talk more about that and and maybe have you you know back on the show after you've done it to talk about what the experience is but do you do you have retail in the mix or you want to stay a DTC company so right now we're focused on DTC the only retail presence we're um, putting effort into at the moment significant effort into at the moment is uh, running shoe stores so we like to compare our product to the energy gels and goos that are out there right it's a comparable nutritional profile, the differentiator for clean energy is that those other products are typically added sugar and lab-created stuff. We're wholly organic fruits and vegetables. So we like that comparison quite a bit. And we've been talking to running shoe stores around the country to share that comparison and see if there's interest. And we've had a number of running shoe stores um, in the Midwest and in the Northeast so far sample product and, and place it in their stores. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, I I, I love alter slightly alternate channel distribution is really good too, especially for so for something that's it's energy based or nutrition based because you, you have a, a built in audience there all of a sudden. And to your point of you know an evolving customer base, one thing that I wasn't aware of, I'm not a vegan myself, but the product is vegan. And we've had a number of vegan ultra runners who are very interested and that's resonated in running shoe stores thus far. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There was, yeah, I've I've talked to some people who've done products like as abstract as pickle juice, right? Which, you know, I didn't know anything about, but pickle juice alleviates muscle cramps. And in fact, a lot of big pro athletes and stuff in teams and stuff use it. And Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just one of those things. And and so I was talking with somebody just about it and I said, yeah, I just, 
I, I just learned about this, whatever. And the guy I'm talking to is a mountain climber. And he goes, okay. can you get me some? I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's like, so sort of unintended, but, but, but hardcore. He's like, no, seriously. He goes, finger cramps. He goes, it's, it's unbelievable. And so, okay. So that, that's a great, a great inroad, Ted, in terms of finding an, another place for it before, you know, looking at going, you know, going full boat, you know, retail to sort of conventional from your website and, and from the feedback, did you change a lot of stuff in the product or anything in the product or label to, to, you know, support that feedback? Nothing that's, nothing that's changed on the product thus far. We are working towards a second flavor based upon some feedback that we've received. So one of our ingredients is banana and there's certainly a segment of the population that's banana averse. There's people that love banana. There's people that just won't eat them. Yes. So that's, so we're coming up with a second flavor that does not include banana, more of a pineapple mango based. And then we've had some questions more. So I wouldn't even call it feedback, but questions uh, about the website that have, from consumers, from registered dietitians that have, have, you know, made us tweak the website here and there. So that's oh, been cool. really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. When you get into where, you know, professionals in, in, yeah, giving you that, give me that little bit of direction that, that you might need. Let me figure it out. It's um, been a big help. It's been a big help. Let me ask you, cause a lot of people are facing this, Ted, what did you do about the, the distribution, the 3PL situation? How'd you um, approach that? So, you know, similar to the contract manufacturer story, just did my research before launching, you know, knew I wanted to do direct to consumer to start, wanted to see what 3PLs were out there and were well-reviewed and, you know, to offer a seamless DTC 3PL experience and uh, competitive pricing and just did my research and uh, have found one that uh, has worked for us thus far. That's that's great. Yeah. I think that the Probably through this last six months, particularly, obviously 3PLs have been stressed. So if it's still working for you, that that's great. I, I think going forward, that's one of the key components that we need to look at in emerging brands in direct-to-consumer mm-hmm. is finding that because trying to do self-fulfillment is really hard and it's really hard to scale self-fulfillment. You know, it just doesn't, it's, it's a nice idea, but you know, competitive pricing. We had a pretty significant raise right over the winter from everybody from the post office all the way on down and, uh, you know, not, not getting any cheaper to move things, but yeah. So that's, that's really important. Did you, did you basically, you know, not to get to level of detail, but when you were looking at three PLs, um, did you come at it because you had some experience with CPGs and you knew what they were, or did you do Google research or how did you, how did you research initially to find how am I going to get this stuff to the consumer other than send it myself? So it was primarily talking with people, different people who had started businesses, doing web-based research. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to draw a ton from my prior life as an auditor and my clients and their situations because many of them were large enough, most of them were large enough where they really didn't have their own DTC presence. Now that's probably changed in the past year since I've left, but they weren't in a position where their DTC was something to be modeled uh, by a startup. Yeah, pretty good out. So in working with Copacker, 3PL, whatever, in, in your, what is your quote unquote team 
right now besides you? And it's, it's just me. It's just it's me. Just, so I have lots of family and friends helping out uh, yeah. here and there, but I'm the only one that's putting significant time and, and money into the business. And that was the plan all along. I really wanted to see, you know, if I could do this uh, on my own and see if I could create something that others would want to be a part of. And so we're just at the early stages here and there's definitely interest and excitement, but need to get it to a, you know, a bigger place before I would be interested in bringing anybody else on. And yeah, as a solopreneur, it's not, uh, not necessarily easy, but you have your 3PL, your co-packer and stuff as part of a, as part of a quote unquote team in that sense. Correct. What, what are, again, without getting into proprietary stuff, what, what's the future hold? What, I mean, you got some new flavors coming out, but are you, you going to pursue a retail strategy at some point? Or, I mean, we've got Amazon yeah. coming, but after that. I think, you know, one thing that we're going to hold fast to and is central to our product, and, and I'm sure you're ahead of me here, but to repeat myself is clean label, right? That's central to our name. It's central to who we are. Yeah. So whatever we do in the future, the clean label element is going to be central to that. I think in the near term, it's a new flavor. It's rolling out to Amazon. We'd like to continue to roll out to running shoe stores, probably focus on the West Coast at the moment because we don't have any presence there. We'd like to get out there and then also expand foothold in uh, athletic departments and uh, professional teams to the extent that we can do that. Yeah. And that sounds like an absolutely, absolutely great plan. I mean, just... Yeah. So that, that should work. One of the things also that I wanted to, to ask about, we have a uh, um, segment sort of on the, on the show where we, um, and obviously the, pretty much the entire content of the show is to, to pass along and stuff to fellow entrepreneurs, but we, we call the specific one words to grow by. And it's, it's kind of either like your favorite quote or your favorite word or phrase or something that you think, you know, based on your journey, is important for other entrepreneurs out there to to have sort of as inspiration. You, ha- you have something for us? Yeah. So you were kind enough to give me a heads up on this one. And there was a, a quote that I thought a lot about as I was deciding whether or not I wanted to leave public accounting and is also relevant to the clean label premise. It's from one of my favorite authors, an author by the name of C.S. Lewis. But he said, if you're looking for truth, you might find comfort in the end, but if you look for comfort, you'll get neither comfort nor truth. And that's really important to me, again, as I was deciding to leave public accounting and give this a try. And as well, I look at Clean Label as being totally about truth and transparency. So the idea of being focused on and seeking truth, I think is a really cool thing. It sounds petty, uh, but I think it's kind of basic and it's a good kind of recentering idea for me and for the company. That's awesome. And that is a, a great, great advice. Great, great counsel. It, it's, it's important, I think, people to realize that a lot of the best companies that are out there, and even some of the very, very large CPG companies were started by people with a passion to, to do something, to do something honest, do something transparent and, you know, and get it out there. And the disruption that a lot of brands like yours have caused in each of their categories is just amazing. And you can always tell because you, the, the, the big companies decide that they're going to buy somebody to try to solve that problem. And they just don't understand what the, what the original premise was or what the brand architecture is. And it's like, it's not just taking your product and throwing it into a, a, you know, a big dairy distribution system or something, right? That's, that's not going to, that doesn't do it. That isn't what you know, clean energy is about. It's not what 
the whole thing is about. So it's it's uh, important. And I think that's the other aspect of the, the pandemic that probably has affected our business a lot. And that is a lot more people are also looking for that level of authenticity in what they're doing. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Thanks for that, Steve. It's, you know, we just, we have to kind of, you know, kind of figure that into the, in, into the going, going forward. And, you know, and, and the best part of that is, is that I was mentioning the, the larger companies that have bought smaller companies, how many of them have actually sold those companies after they bought them. It's like, yeah. Yeah. It, it, you have all this research, you have billions of dollars, you have Nielsen contracts, you know, you can tell exactly what's going on in the category every day. And somehow, even when you <laughs> buy the company that's doing the disruption, you can't make it work within your 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 structure, which is pretty you know, <laughs> pretty amazing. Figure it out. Well, hey, yeah. I wish you I wish you the best of luck with this. It sounds sounds great, and do want to check in with you to see about your Amazon experience when it happens. But I think you've provided a really good counsel or a really good, if you will, short textbook for how people should go about this is researching. And paying attention to the numbers, but not necessarily letting it dictate, you know, what you're going to do. Totally agree. Thanks so much for having me on, Steve. Appreciate it and enjoyed it. Hey, thanks so much, Ted. Appreciate it as well. And thanks, by the way, to everyone else out there for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast. Our podcast is sponsored by the Next Level Brands community. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's with two X's. Our producer is Deborah Armstrong. Our production assistant is Consolato Wakuka. We're always grateful for feedback, any comments we get. And if you have an idea for a particular show or a special guest that you think would be entertaining and educational, feel free to reach out and let us know. And if you're enjoying the show, please follow us, take a minute to subscribe, and more important, refer us to your friends. After all, the more, the merrier. I'm Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands Podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at Next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.